Hey you guys, hope you're well. I just wanted to take this opportunity and let you know about our amazing new business scalability scorecard. So have you ever wondered if, you've, if you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, and you want to grow and scale the business but not sure how, and you're looking for some advice and you're looking for some strategies about how you could effectively grow and scale your business, well, this is your opportunity. We have actually created an amazing uh, business scalability scorecard. It takes you around seven to eight minutes, and at the end of that, it will actually create a report of all of the things that you're doing particularly well in and the things that you need to make improvements to your business. And uh, it's a great tool and a great asset for your business. To get free access to that, go to bit.ly forward slash business hyphen scalability hyphen scorecard. Go there, go now. Take care, see you soon. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And I'm here on the show with a good friend of mine. Her name is Paulina Groman. And Paulina and myself actually met on Clubhouse, okay? Now, I always about rave about Clubhouse all the time, but if you don't know who Paulina is, let me give you a little bit of a snapshot about who she is. Well, she's first of all, she's a global award-winning, high-performance conscious coach if, as such. Um, she's a speaker, serial entrepreneur, and also uh, an investor as well. She's been named by Yahoo Finance as one of the top Clubhouse influencers of 2021, and you just type in Pauline Groman. In fact, we'll put the link in the link below and you can check her out anyway. What does she do? She specializes in helping what I call visionary CEOs uh, authentically align in terms of their purpose, finding their purpose, leveraging their personal story to win more market share. So Paulina, welcome to the show. Yes, I'm super excited to be here, Adam. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. Awesome, very good. Now, it's interesting because I know, because we know each other pretty well, you're in New York, right? But you're not yep. originally from New York. So I'm, just for the benefit of our listeners, because we've got listeners all over the world, I'd love to know, where did you, where did, how did you develop your entrepreneurial spirit? Like, where did it come from? Did it come from like your core roots? Or did it come from you sort of, you know, kind of, kind of when you grew up in, in, in New York and, and, in, and in sort of U.S. culture? Sure. So I immigrated here from Ukraine in 1989. I was 10 years old. I came to this country not speaking one word of English. Came to school, saw all different kinds of kids, came home, and I'm like, I'm never going to school. I have no idea what they're saying. They're all making fun of me. They're all pointing at me. So that was the beginning of the journey moving from Ukraine to New York. Now, I didn't know how poor we were until I got to high school because my dad didn't have a car and kids in my class had cars. And I realized that, oh my God, my parents work so much. We don't have anything. We live in a third floor, third floor walk up. Uh, we wear hand-me-downs by we, I mean, me and my sister. And uh, my parents were never home, really hardworking. Came home one day when I was 15 years old and said, dad, really, really want these Nike sneakers. 
My dad looked me straight in the eye and said, how much did they cost? I said, $90. So I remember this conversation like it was yesterday. It was 25 years ago. He looked at me and said, look, we will never be able to buy that. We can never afford that. That's not for us. We're never going to be those people. You're just going to have to live with the fact that we're not those people, the regular people, lucky you know, to have the freedom to live in this country, to have food on our table. So I'm sorry, you can't have it. You can never have it, so just get that out of your head. Wow. Went to sleep that night, crying myself to sleep, woke up and said, well, maybe I could go to work. So my dad said, if you could get a job after school or on the weekends and still keep your grades, then you could do it. I got a job in McDonald's, a local <laughs> McDonald's that still, I still drive past it today and show it to my kids because I'm really proud of that moment. I worked for a month to buy myself those sneakers. <laughs> That pair of sneakers was the beginning of it all for me. It was my proudest possession. I still can smell the leather on those sneakers. I still can touch them in my meditations. It still seems like 25 years ago was yesterday. And when he looked at me and said, you can never have that. We can never afford it. That was the beginning of it all. Wow. You know, it's interesting. Um, and, you know, I've got a good friend of mine and we share very common stories because I also started at McDonald's at the age of 16, similar to when you started off at McDonald's. It wasn't, it was for a lot longer than a month though. It was more like eight years. So um, that's a whole new, uh, that's a whole new story in itself or whatever it is. So you got your, you got your sneakers. Then what did you just like stay at McDonald's for a month? And then what, did, what, what was it just to focus then on school or did you quit McDonald's? <laughs> No, no, I, it took me a month to buy the sneakers. I ended up working there for three years. Uh, it was my part-time job. And then I had another job on top of that. I was working in a medical office as a receptionist. Then I had another job. I always had two, three, four jobs at the same time. And then uh, during the summer, I went to college. During the summer, I decided my friend was working on Wall Street. And I decided to become an intern there because at that summer in particular, uh, McDonald's didn't have enough work other things that I was doing, just I wasn't really making any money, but I was working three, four jobs in addition to going to school. Wow. So my friend was working on Wall Street. Uh, he was a kid in my class and he said, look, they're not going to pay you, but I'm telling you this place, everybody has money here. I just want to be here for the money. I came in there. I stayed there for two weeks and I said, you know, I'm dropping out of college. I'm going to work here full time. I'm going to work 50, 60, 70 hours. I don't care how long I have to work because I don't understand how come no one knows about this place. Everybody here is rich. <laughs> and I came home, I told my parents I'm dropping out of school. And they said, you Ooh. cannot do this. This is the American dream. We brought you here for the education. You can't. If you decide to do this, you need to leave home. That, that summer, I made more money as an intern than both of my parents. And that's when I made a final commitment to drop out of school and got my own place. And the journey really begun there, you know, that um, it wasn't as easy as, as I thought it would be. I couldn't go back home with the tail between my legs, right? So I needed to make it work against all odds, against all naysayers, against all family members that told me I was going to miserably fail. And I was the only girl at that time in my company that wasn't an administrative assistant. I was a stockbroker. Everybody that sat next to me was a boy. And Typically, the boys that got hired in my company were from alumni from college, and I didn't graduate college. Mm -hmm. So I had to work a lot harder to prove that I even belonged there, even though I passed my test, even mm -hmm. though I was licensed, even though financially I was doing better than 
70% of the boys working with me in my group, but I still had to work a lot harder. People would make jokes. They would insinuate that the boss liked me, that I got the job because I'm pretty, mm. or maybe I'm dating someone. It was always that kind of, you know, an environment. But that's when it all started. And that's when I realized that if I have the ability to do this, to really say against all odds, it doesn't make sense. My family is not for me. No one's rooting for me. Mm. None of my friends thought this was a good idea. It was the world was against me. It was just me believing in me blindly, just going and trusting myself. So mm. that was the beginning of the entrepreneurial journey. How, did you did it ever come across like in your mind about the whole kind of you know I mean one thing that I really come kind of picked up from that conversation is that you're a grinder right you grind you know what I mean by I that I used to be I I used <laughs> to be until I went through an illness I used yeah yeah to, we'll yes. we'll talk about that actually because that, that that that's one of our questions but my my question is um, you know I mean how did it make you feel like being rejected by your own family because you don't have any what I call fans, mentors, coaches, people that kind of uplift you, or did you? In the beginning, I didn't. I felt very, very lonely. Mm -hmm. And it was the success didn't mean anything. It's like as soon as I would make the money, it would be gone. And right. I wouldn't understand why because mm -hmm. I was working so hard. My fear was that if I would stop, and it would all stop. It would be like a Cinderella story. And I would go back to living in that walk up wearing the hand-me-downs instead of buying myself Chanel, right? So uh, I hired a mentor. And it was one of the best decisions that I ever made in my early 20s. It was much more than I could have afforded. It made no sense. But <laughs> this person was like a parent figure to me in business. It, this person uh, coached me mentally to become more resilient. And also because I worked around men, uh, he coached me how to set up boundaries so men would respect me as opposed to look at me as a woman and try to, you know, be borderline, you know, sexual or borderline too right. friendly. So having a mentor early on was one of the greatest investments that I ever made because I believe that if I didn't, things would have been much, much harder than they mm. were. Interesting, really, really interesting. That is, what it, what was it like working in what I call the man's world? Because Wall Street, effectively, you know, when I think of Wall Street, I think of you know, egotistical, testosterone environment, fast pace. You know, I suppose the Wolf of Wall Street type of you know environment. Is that what it was like? I mean, how did that? How did you fit into that environment? I just couldn't see you doing that. That's crazy. The movies doesn't do it justice. It's all I'm going to say. It was <laughs> all that and a lot more and a lot more. Uh, you know, when I was in it already for a couple of years, hmm. it wasn't my environment, but I couldn't leave. I put everything in the line, literally, literally family, friendships, school. So right. I couldn't leave. But I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So the, I bought myself an apartment when I was 21 years old. I was a homeowner. And uh, I knew that the money that I was making, I wasn't interested in traveling so much. I definitely wasn't interested in having a family in my early 20s. So the money that I was making, I knew I wanted to put it somewhere and I wanted to invest it in myself. And that's essentially where the journey started evolving from Wall Street to the entrepreneurial. Interesting, really interesting. I, I, I love getting into this. So, okay, so, all right. So 
stockbroker, because that's essentially what you were, right? A Wall Street stock stockbroker. And you yep. wanted to become an entrepreneur, right? So tell me, what was the fascination there? What was the reason behind wanting to become an entrepreneur? What, where, did, where did that kind of flavor come from? I understood from uh, selling the dream of investing in other people's companies, because that's what stock brokers do, right? Right. Wanted the dream to be myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to create the dream. I had no infrastructure for the dream. But I saw companies that would go from zero to seven, eight figures in the shortest two, three years, where I would be putting in an immense amount of hours. Yes, for my age, I was making pretty good money. But the amount of work that I was putting in to promote, essentially what you're doing as a stockbroker is you're promoting other people's companies. Right. I wanted to promote my own company. But in the beginning, because I didn't know how to get started, I became a partner in my friend's company, but financial services company, because it was very much in alignment with what I was doing before. Nice. So the transition wasn't hard, but the hard part was the backstabbing that came in that partnership, mm -hmm. the unevenness of responsibilities, my inexperience and too, being too gullible and too trustworthy. And then allowing myself to have the pity party for two right? So when I fell off the horse, instead of getting right back up, I fired my mentor. I blamed him. I got rid of certain people because I felt that they were against me. I was in this ego state of the world is really against me now. I need to turn into a warrior and fight for what's mine. And that wasn't a fun time in my life. It was very lonely from a different perspective because I still didn't have a relationship with my family. I mean, I spoke to them. But we were never close after I moved out. So I felt very like, I don't have the support of my family. I don't have my mentor anymore. My friends that were women were all looking for a man that was rich so they could marry that man. I had no motivation whatsoever to get married probably until I was 27, 28 years old. So in my early 20s, it just wasn't part of the equation. I wasn't sure if I wanted to have kids because I felt that until I figure everything out, I don't want my kids to struggle the way that I did. I don't want to just birth kids just to, just to put a check mark that put another layer of a strain on my family relationship because all the women in my family essentially felt in the Russian culture, you get married when you're 21 years old. By the age of 23, you're basically old goods. So when I turned 25 and I wasn't married and now I wasn't working on Wall Street and I had a failed venture under my belt, it was like the world was just carving in. Right. And, you know, it was a difficult, lonely time, but I wouldn't have traded in now looking back at it because it was one of the first really hard times. And there was many, many others, but it sort of gave me the foundation that I knew, okay, I didn't disappear. I didn't die. Even though these things happen, I made it. So I know how to make money, but I don't know how to work with people. So I just now need to get a mentor to teach me how to do that. So after I stopped crying about it and complaining about it and hired another mentor, that's when things started getting better and better because that's when I went into uh, a recycling business, which was a different industry, but I was passionate about that industry. It was very much no industry here in the United States at all. I heard about this. Uh, we were essentially recycling used cooking oil from uh, restaurants mm -hmm. into biofuel. There was no industry like that here. Uh, I knew some people that were doing it in Italy. 
Uh, I didn't know how to get licensed. I didn't understand the regulations here in New York. And at that time, I just uh, met my boyfriend at the time, who's not my husband. And we were swimming and trying to create this business together out of absolutely nothing. So there was no regulation. There was no attorneys. There was no anybody that could guide us. So we just started in the beginning, just <laughs> door to door, just going to restaurants, educating them and saying, hey, you throw out this used cooking oil, it pollutes the environment. What if we paid you for this oil? They all looked at me like I was crazy. Why do you want to pay me for my dirty oil that I spilled down the drain? Mm-hmm. Are you some kind of a do-gooder? Do you have so much money that you just want to pay for this? I said, no, because this oil is a commodity to me. They didn't understand it, but it's a fine. If you're willing to pay for it, because right now, as it was, they would pay the garbage man to take it away or even to spill it down the drain and give them the receipt uh, that they took it away. Right. So what I was doing is I was giving them the equipment where they could pour pour it in and I would come and empty that barrel. That me, but a tr- well, we, we purchased a truck, we got a driver and our business was one truck, one driver and my husband and I going door to door to do sales. In 14 months, we built it into a seven-figure company. We were working with 2,000 restaurants here in New York City. We got licensed until we had a major bump in the road. The sanitation industry in New York City is run by the mob. We didn't know that. We didn't anticipate that. We are not American people. We are Russian people that immigrated here. So we didn't know that... There is a food chain, especially in New York, that you need mm. to follow. So one day we came to service this really nice Italian restaurant. The owner of the restaurant said, I want to introduce you to my cousin. He's in the sanitation industry. And his cousin basically told us nicely that if we don't, if we don't stop servicing these accounts, he'll kill us in a really nice, polite way. <laughs> and it was such a blow to just the mind, right? Because everything is in your mind. It was like, okay, so we built this out of nothing. It's doing well. So what do we do? And I told my husband was, well, we can't, we can't not do it because not only do we prove that this is a phenomenal business model and it works, but we're actually helping the environment. We're educating the public and we're profitable and we're giving back. So I put on my women intuition hat and i said i'm gonna go talk to these guys i don't think they'll kill me if i'll go at it alone they're (laughs) old-fashioned so i called a meeting with these people who are essentially the mom and i said i come in peace i want to bring you something that you can't refuse that's literally what i said to them and what i offered them was a uh, basically i wouldn't service their accounts i would actually go and educate their people and uh, i would show them my business model and uh, we can both make more money together. It would be really, really nice because the government wouldn't give them headaches for certain things that they were doing because right. I was doing a lot of things for the environment and it was a good cooperation. It was a female owned business. I got a lot of support from the community. So the mob became my friend. <laughs> they, liked, they liked the fact that I wanted to share and not, and not you know, create problems. Mm-hmm. And that's how that business survived, sheerly on guts, on mindset that uh, it's going to happen regardless. And if they weren't going to agree to that, I would come up with something else. And I would come up with something else. 
I conditioned myself over the years of knowing that you don't fail. You only fail when you stop trying. It's like when you're driving in a car somewhere, if there's a dead end, you don't just get up out of your car and freak out and like, oh my God, like that's it, I'm not gonna drive. No, just put in a different navigation system and keep on going, right? So that experience taught me that, uh, you know, that could have been a detrimental loss to forget about financially to my health, right? To my, to my sanity. And it turned out to be an amazing experience. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I kept on going and started another company where I was doing a similar type of a project, except this time it was with used clothing, similar to what you see Goodwill and Salvation Army, uh, uh, you know, does with collecting used clothing, uh, except they don't recycle their clothes. They collect the clothes as a nonprofit. Uh, and sell sell it off to third world countries. Yeah. My business model was I always wanted to, to be transparent. So instead of saying I'm a nonprofit and then go and sell these things, because essentially I felt that it was wrong. I wanted to be a for-profit and I wanted to create a green social enterprise where a portion like Tom Shoes, where a portion of what the revenue that we generated will go toward education. So instead of hiding behind the money, I put it up front. There was a lot of controversy. It was very political. Again, here in New York, uh, it's very liberal. Politicians like to support nonprofits. They like a cause. They like to raise money for a cause. They don't like a for-profit company openly saying, yes, I'm making profit and I'm, and I'm giving back because then it makes other things look bad. So again, was in a predicament that it could have went very wrong or very south. Mm -hmm. The company was doing great until the government came into our business and started essentially offering the same thing. Came to my partner, I had a partner at the time, and I told him, we need to stop. We need to pull out immediately. You know, in business, very, very important thing that a lot of people miss the mark, and I learned this the hard way. You have to know when to get in and when to get out. Everything's about timing. Yes. The market doesn't wait for anyone. The market doesn't validate you as a human being. The market just validates supply and demand. A lot of people, and I used to be one of those people, take everything very personal. Right. So if something doesn't work out, the whole world shatters because because their mindset is, oh, I'm a failure. It's against me. But the truth is the government went into my business. I built an amazing company. And, you know, I mean, pound for pound, you don't fight the government. Right. So it became this thing where me and my husband was in a really big uh, state of separation on how we thought and what we should do. We had a partner who was an investor in the company. I felt we need to call shop and we need to be like Michael Jordan and leave at the top of the game. He wanted to go till, till the end. We went to battle because yeah, you don't battle the government, especially in New York City. We went to battle, we lost the battle, we needed to close down. It, uh, one of our investors um, took a loss. We went into a new business with that investor. And in that new business, he basically, because he was angry that he took a loss in this company, he basically uh, took the investment in a new company because he felt justified and went into a lawsuit. So it was a series of events. There was, you know, really big highs, you know, again, multiple seven figures, less than two years and really big lows, right? So the roller coaster was very intense. At that time, I had my first child. I was very, very stressed out, but I knew that I felt, I didn't know, I felt that I can't stop, I just can't stop. I always was proving 
to myself that I got to figure this out. I was still that little girl that my dad looked me in the eyes and said, you can never have that. It's not for you. We will never be able to afford it. I was still, you know, that little child inside proving to myself that I could do it. Mm. And uh, amidst, uh, as my partner decided to steal the capital of the new company, we went into a massive lawsuit extremely draining on my marriage and the last business was also extremely draining on my marriage because you know working with your significant other is a very interesting dynamic uh it's very difficult because you know when you're at work and you come home you had a bad day you can share that with your partner but if your partner calls you to have a bad day and you go home together you don't want to watch a movie together you're going to argue so it was, you know, having a little child at home, arguments, it, it was a lot. And then I was diagnosed with a rare disease. So it was to top it all. I was diagnosed with a rare disease. One morning I woke up and I was hot, covered wow. in boils from head to toe. Wow. My skin felt like it was burning. It was on fire. Went to see a doctor. They, t- they took a blood test. They couldn't find anything. I saw every specialist in the country, every doctor under the sun, he told me exactly the same thing. We're sorry. It's a rare disease. It's going to get progressively worse. You need to be on steroids for the rest of your life. You're going to get worse. There's no cure for this. And we're sorry. And the feeling that I had was exactly the same feeling as my dad speaking to me about my secrets. Like, no way. Like, not accepting this. Not happening. And as crazy as it sounds, and I don't advise anyone to do this. This is just my story, what I chose to do for me. I went against doctor's orders and I knew that this was an answer to my prayers, which sounds pretty crazy. Every night I would go to sleep feeling very empty, feeling, feeling very guilty because the more money that I would make, the more empty I would feel. The more I would feel that I don't know what I'm doing all this for. I don't care about all these trinkets. Yes, I, have, I like the freedom. I like to travel, but I don't care about the Lamborghini. I don't care about the mansion. I care about being happy. I just didn't know how to. Because everything in my life was always about stress, about hustle, about grinding, about outworking and outperforming every person that I knew. And I really felt that if I would stop even for one second, that everything like in Cinderella's story would disappear. This illness has given me the gift of slowing down. It took me four years to heal myself from this illness. In the interim of that time, I got certified as a holistic nutritionist. I got certified as an American drugless practitioner. I have tried every alternative medicine of myself as a guinea pig to heal myself. And what essentially healed it was diet. I've always been very healthy. So it's not like I was overweight. No, I just neglecting my, my body, my mind, and my spirit for the past 20 years. And through diet, through mindful meditation, through breath work, through timeouts, through getting rid of people in my life that were toxic. A lot of times people don't realize it's the food that you eat is only one component. Diet is what you watch. I don't watch TV. Diet and conditioning yourself to be strong enough to say, I'll go at something alone and having the faith in, in yourself, not because you're a scared little girl, but because you really believe in yourself is for me, it was like winning the lottery. Because for the first time in my life, I felt empowered. I felt strength that I've never experienced before. I felt like all the testosterone that I was around all these years, that that energy was finally a good thing in my life because I learned a lot 
working with men. Men are very different than women. They're less emotional. They're more action taken. So I took everything that I learned from working in male-dominated, interesting industries and Wall Street and started being a woman and infusing my intuition into things, infusing beauty into things because I've never used anything feminine in anything that I did before. Everything was very much systems, processes. There was never any room to play. There was never any room to be creative. So when I was going through this illness, I said to myself, when I get better, it was never if, it was always a when I get better, I'm gonna find a way to help millions of people stop grinding, stop hustling, stop leaning in into the systems which are important but they're no less important than spending time with your family, than spending time with people that really bring you joy, than putting it on your calendar to, to have laughter in your life on a daily basis. Because so many times we look at a business as this mountain, right? And it, when you look at a mountain and when you have to climb a mountain, you start freaking out. You say to yourself, oh my God, am I gonna climb this huge mountain? You look it up, pick up your head, you start breathing, you start hyperventilating. That's how mm-hmm. we feel in business and in life a lot of times. Where today, if I look at a huge mountain, something that I haven't conquered before and I want to conquer it, I say to myself, I'm going to go buy mountain shoes. I'm going to go buy gear. I'm going to make it a fun, challenging experience. I'm not going to rush myself because what I really want to do is make it so fun that the next mountain that I have to climb won't scare me at all. And that's how I started... Uh, not only uh, applying into my business, but I started applying this mountain mentality to my friendships. If something felt very grandiose to me and I felt like, oh, this person, you know, is a, uh, you know, made a hundred million dollars last year and I didn't, uh, I feel like an imposter. Stop doing that to myself. And I said, you know, I'm not friends with this person because of what they achieved. And they're not friends with me of what I haven't achieved yet. I want to have authentic friendships with people that I deeply care about that have the same values. Mm-hmm. So I started asking myself, what do I value in my life? And I promised myself that I will never again allow money to direct me in my life because anytime where money was directing me, I lost. And when I reflected back on that, I learned that money cannot lead. You have to lead. Money is just an energy, right? So it's like a, it's like a child. If you let your child run wild, you know, be in the middle of the living room, right? And for those of you who have kids will know what I mean. That's what your kids will do. If you teach your kids how to manage themselves, you allow themselves to be, to cry sometimes, to laugh sometimes, and to be the child that just creates, the child is essentially happy and more cooperative with you. That's exactly the same thing that we have to do with ourselves because there's a little child inside of all of us. We neglect that child. We don't listen to that child. But the truth is that child is directing a lot of us. Adults throw more kids than children. Interesting. So many times you see people in their ego being jealous, mm. doing things that are so out of character. And instead of asking yourself why, ask yourself. You know, in every situation, and when you start taking radical responsibility, or as an example, someone cheats you, ask yourself, where am I cheating myself? Someone is unfaithful to you, ask yourself, where am I being unfaithful to myself? Because when you start having that type of relationship with yourself, you realize that no person, place, thing, or an experience can ever knock you down. It's just a pebble in your shoe on your way up on the mountain, 
right? It's taking that radical responsibility and understanding that, yes, we all need mentors. I have a mentor today. I run three companies. I'm embarking in a huge company right now, and I still have a mentor, and I'm going to hire another one. And I believe that it's the greatest investment that you could do on yourself because if someone has climbed a mountain before me and they can give me the technique, that's great. But if they are in alignment with values, right? I work with people who care about family, who care about freedom, not money. Those are two very, very different things. The reason why I love working with people that are burnt out is because most of the times when I ask them this question, if I could wave a magic wand and us working together in a 45-day or 90-day program, because I don't believe in long-term programs anymore because I believe that people want speed. Most people don't have a money problem. They have a speed problem, right? So if somebody said 100 grand would save my life if I made that in a year, what if you made it in three months? It's the speed that you're after, not the amount, right? So if someone tells me, if I just make the money, I'll be happy. That person needs a lot of mindset work. Money's never going to make you happy. It's not the money that's making you miserable. Money exposes us. When we get freedom to do what we want with who we want, we expose. So if we're a good person, that money is going to make us a better person. We'll treat friends and family. We'll invite people into experiences that maybe they couldn't go on. We'll meet different people and collaborate on things. So money is just... Um, an opportunity for you to see who you are. If you're blocked, the money's not coming into you. It's not because you're a bad person. It's not because it's karma. It's not because you're doomed. All of that is bullshit. I'm sorry. All of that <laughs> is all good. We, by the way, guys, BS. it's okay for us to swear on this, isn't it? We have, by the way, Pauline, okay. don't worry about it. It's all good. Like literally, it's explicit. I swear all the time. Okay. But we do it because okay. we're, we're passionate about science. That's so all good. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all bunch of, because a lot of uh, you know marketers will have you believing that if you just pay for this one secret, then your whole life is going to change. You know what the secret is? Consistency, believing in yourself every day, not just doing the work, but penciling in fun, penciling in that hike, penciling in that walk, penciling in that, that time with your kids, your pets, whatever it is that makes you happy. Because if your day consists of grinding, at the end of the day, you're lonely, mad, and miserable, and you're doing it over and over again and expecting a different result. If your day consists of, I am, you know, like Picasso, he could paint for hours straight. He wasn't stressed out. He was in flow. He was in, in ecstasy, right? Because that's his craft. Mm. That, that's his gift, right, that he's sharing with the world. Right. A lot of times I ask my clients, it's not the money that you're after. What is it that you really want? Person will tell me two weeks off. Perfect. So we're going to build a strategy to give you two weeks off every quarter because that's what you're really after. You're not after that big mountain because the truth is we build this big thing and we say, if I have this, I'll be happy. And until I have it, I don't deserve happiness. But if you're not happy every day as you're climbing this big thing, all that keeps on happening is you're taking baby steps. If you want to short, shorten the time gap from where you are to where you want to go, you must, must have a clear vision of not the money, of not the how, of not the numbers, even though those things are all important. But what's your why? Yours will be different than mine. My why is very, very simple. 
I never want to be that little girl that feels that I can't afford those sneakers. I never want my children to worry about they could eat a certain type of food. You know, uh, when I was a kid, our parents would treat us to Chinese food once a month. That was like a really, really big treat. You know what? I didn't like Chinese food, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I never liked rice. I haven't actually eaten rice now probably for 25 years now. But it was such a treat because it was when my family got together and we had an opportunity to be with our parents. There was no phones back then. And we just spent family time together. That's what I valued. For me, my children are part of my business. I'm surprised my son hasn't jumped into this podcast. He does. <laughs> my children travel with me. They, they see me speak on stages. And when they ask me, mom, why do we need to make a lot of money? The answer is super simple. So we can help a lot of people. If you had an extra couple of million dollars, imagine how many people you could help, right? So a lot of us are chasing this big hundred million dollar dream, but the truth is you just want to, you just want a vacation for two weeks every quarter. And it doesn't take a hundred million dollars to do that. Mm-hmm. And when you give yourself that gift of saying, okay, now I've given myself the vacation. My next thing what I really want is I want to help a thousand children have clean water. Okay. So when you, when you start doing stuff that's outside of you, And outside of me, 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 I'm not good enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not smart enough, not tall, not short, not fat, not skinny, not, 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 right? When you take all that away and brutally, honestly, radically ask yourself, what is it that I want now? You're allowed to change your mind six months from now. Make a commitment for six months to give yourself that is that whatever that is for you, your life will change radically. It's going to seem like it's a miracle. Like it's going to seem that, all of a sudden you were blessed by this divine source of things going in your favor. But what you really did was opened yourself up to receive because by human nature, especially women, we're givers for generations. We took care of people. Men went to work. They were the providers and women were nurturers. Today, women are running countries, but they're still waiting for permission to be empowered. Men feel emasculated. A lot of men feel like, well, where's my space, you know, now in, in the, in the dynamic. I believe both men and women are living in the most opportune time in history. In every recession and every downfall, this is where millionaires and billionaires are made. We have an opportunity to do big things right now. We can buy businesses and revive them, right? Like never before, right? We can have, we have access to clean water and food, right? And we could supply that to other countries through government contracts like never before. There's so much opportunity right now. All you have to do is decide what is it that I want that's really, really important to me. Honestly, when you sit with yourself, when there's no one else around, when there's no one watching, if you can give yourself that level of honesty, you're going to start building a relationship with the most important person in your life, you. And only then you could start giving back to others. Boom. <laughs> and I'm Paulina and I'm done speaking. No, we're kidding. <laughs> Listen, guys, I hope that you're really interested. I hope that this is good stuff because seriously, I'm like, it's interesting because there was a few things that I've, like, I've been making notes ferociously, as you can see. Uh, I always do when I, when I do these types of things. It's interesting. Like, I, and, you know, because we talk quite a lot and you know that I'm working on my third book. And one of the quotes that I put in, this, in my third book is the age of, or, you know, because I was trained to think that, um, 
you know, it was kind of like hustle, you know, get up at 5 a.m., work 18 hour days, 365 days a week, just to get, just to become successful, right? But that whole kind of mindset, which is a broken mindset, right? It's a, it's a scarcity, fear-mongering mindset, which has been developed. And then obviously then in your case, for example, you know, you got sick, right? You got, you know, it was a, it was a kind of a realization and you think, shit, like, is this what my life is going to be? You know, and there's going to be people on this call listening to us talking, right? That's probably nodding their heads, like nodding dogs, right? Thinking, why is it that I'm doing what you, you guys have been doing? And I'm just going to, you're just going to dig yourself an early grave, right? It's more than that. What you're doing is you're alienating yourself mm. from people that you care about in the name of I'm building this thing where it's so important and I have to. You're alienating yourself from experiences that you really want to experience. This mm. is why you're working so hard. So for me, as an example, I remember going the first time in my um, late 20s to a Ritz Carlton and I've never been to it. It's been my dream. So I was staying in this uh, Ritz Carlton in Puerto Rico. I paid $1,500 a night to stay in, in this particular place. I was so tired that I slept for four days. <laughs> <laughs> that was the experience. When I got back home and my friends were like, oh my God, how was it? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't know. I slept the whole time. <laughs> you know? So I think a lot of times we convince ourselves uh, that if we stop, it's a Cinderella story that, that it was for me. If I stop, it, you lose everything. The right. truth is this. Today, you have access to mentors like never before. Like on Clubhouse, it's, I have never seen anything like that. So yesterday, I'm on stage with Grant Cardone. He's having a debate with someone. And I tell Grant Cardone that I think he's wrong. And we get into this whole thing. <laughs> and at the end of the day, he tells me, you are right. I should have never argued with a smart person. <laughs> I mean, where else would that happen? And, and, and I mean, I really respect Grant. And, and But, you know, he's still all about the hustle, the grind. Of course the he is. That. And I, of course he is. Even I'm I'm quite surprised that his wife was didn't butt in for that conversation. And Yeah. You know, I respect Grant. I respect what he has built. I've met Grant outside of Clubhouse before. Grant right. is a really smart businessman, but I think that it took, not I think, Grant speaks about this, that it took him 40 years to become successful. He's definitely not an overnight success. I believe that today, this will have to take 40 years with the power of social media, with the power of internet and the power of content. I believe that today we are so fortunate to have experiences, to have mentors, to have access like never before. When somebody asks me, I read books, by the way, uh, at least two books a month, right? So one of the books that I always recommend, and it's funny because I've met this author of this book and I told him I should become his affiliate because I promote this book everywhere that I go. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a life-changing book for me. It's called Love Yourself, Like Your Life Depends on It by Kamal Ravikant. It's okay. an amazing book. You know, it's I read two books a month. Because I believe that I'm always a student. There's always room for me to learn. Whatever I know is great. That's my experience from the lens of my of where I was at that time. Mm. Today, I'm a different person. Every day, I try to be better than yesterday. Better parent, better communicator, better leader. 
when you read other people's books, you're actually having an opportunity to have that person silently mentor you, right? Like Adam, you're writing your third book, right? Somebody reading those books is someone that's in your energy, right? Even when you're not there, they're experiencing your wisdom, your knowledge, you're cutting their learning curve. You're helping them avoid the mistakes, right? And you have put blood, sweat, and tears, right, into these books. So I believe that when we read other people's books, it's actually a very spiritual act mm -hmm. because not only are we absorbing the knowledge, but we are on some level supporting that creator, right, supporting that person in their vision and collectively rising together. A yeah. lot of people are into this, not even competition, but like I got to outdo you or have to do better than him. I don't ever compete with anybody else because if you are running a race, right, and you're busy looking at other people, you're going to lose. You can't do this when you're running, right? You have to be laser focused and you and you don't turn back. You, you run and you go straight. Not that I'm a professional runner or anything, <laughs> but, but I mean, just logically, even a child knows that, right? You don't look back. You don't look to, to the side. So many times we're so busy. Look at him. Look at her. Oh, my God, I'm such an imposter. The truth is there's no other people. It doesn't matter. Those people are almost like figments of your imagination. They're put on your path yeah. for you to come back home to yourself and to realize that how are you nurturing you? How are you better today? What are you investing? Your energy, your time. There is a saying I've been studying Kabbalah for the past, gosh, 25 years now. There's a saying in the Kabbalah that it's your responsibility as a human to protect your eyes, your ears, and your heart. Because if your eyes see something, they can't unsee. If you allow something to hurt you, it's not even for you, but you hear something or you get too excited and someone else's fight, it hurts your heart. Because human beings are connected. A lot of times we hurt ourselves. We allow ourselves to see, hear, or allow things into our lives that are toxic for us. And then we blame other people. The truth is it's your responsibility to put yourself in the right headspace every single day. It's your responsibility to set up routines. It's your responsibility to spend time with your family. That's important to you. So many people tell me, I live for my kids. So why do you work 60 hours a week? And why do you take every opportunity not to go home? <laughs> the answer is always, oh, I'm, do I'm doing it for them. Okay, if you drop dead tomorrow, I know your kids live in a beautiful mansion, but if you drop dead tomorrow, how will your kids remember you? True. The truth is, the truth to that question is, this has come from years of working with, uh, you know, entrepreneurs that are pretty successful. They're hiding behind their work. I used to do that. We hide behind our work because sometimes we figure out the money part and we know how to hide behind them. Very, very busy. The truth is you don't have to be busy. You need to uh, put systems in place, teams in place. You can never scale or grow by yourself. That's it. Jeff Bezos True. didn't build Amazon on his own. Steve Jobs didn't build Apple on his own. Is it possible to build a massive empire on your own? Theoretically, anything is possible, right? But why would you want to, right? So when we stop hiding from our family, from our kids, from our friends, mm -hmm. from our little kids inside, and, and we're just, you know what? I am me just the way that I am. Loud, broken, outspoken. I failed many times. I've succeeded many times. I'm me. If someone doesn't like me, that's okay. I like me. And it took me 15 years to be able to say that out loud here in front of other people, right? It's very easy to teach other people, but 
people can sense bullshit, right? People can feel it. If you are the type of person that's preaching leadership or preaching inclusivity, but you're not inclusive and you're competitive and all you care about is yourself, guess what? People are not going to be on your team. Yep, I right? agree. I agree. And it's also the energy as well. I talk about energy a lot. We, we, me and you are both into the whole kind of energy realm, you know, like feeling and sniffing out not just bullshit, but if the energy doesn't feel right, you go with your gut intuition and gut instincts and stuff like that. You don't think with your head, you think with your, don't think you <laughs> with your heart, you don't think with your head, you go with your gut instinct type thing. And I absolutely 100% agree with you. Um, but listen, I know that time is ticking because I know you're extremely busy, right? So before you go, before you go, um, I'd love to know sort of what you're working on right now and how potentially or possibly our audience could help you. Or what are you working on, maybe? Okay. Sure. So actually, as a result, I'm working on a bunch of things, but what I want to offer your listeners in particular is as a result of being a clubhouse, I noticed that a lot of people reach out to me and they can't afford to work with me. And, you know, can't afford can be broken down into many things. A lot of people will be like, oh, you just have to invest in yourself, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but, but you know what? When there's a lot of people that are asking you for something, I pay attention. So I am actually working a new program to make it more accessible for more people to work with me. It will be a uh, mastermind of people from different walks of life. It's not a one-on-one -on -one intimate environment. It's a community. Sure. Right? Where we meet, where we meet once a week, and we really collaborate—not just collaborate in clubhouse or collaborate on some stuff. We really collaborate. We are really going to be a group of people that are elevating together. So, if you're working on a book, all of us are going to be promoting your book because in our community, that's what we want to do, right? right? If if someone else is launching something, we're going to talk about how do we help you launch all of us collectively. Because I see, I've been part of a lot of masterminds. I speak at other people's masterminds. I ran my own. Masterminds are created for one reason, for access. Sometimes if you are an entrepreneur, it's not only lonely, but you feel that that access is so far away that you need to hit those seven figures or high seven figures to spend 100K in a mastermind, 50K in a mastermind. Right. Sometimes it's out of reach and it just feels unreachable. So this community is going to be different. It's only going to be a couple of hundred dollars a month. It's going to be really a community of people that are just uplifting each other, just elevating each other, holding each other accountable. It's, I don't have a sales page for it. I don't have a landing page for it. It's something that's going to launch in the next 30 days. I want to leave your listeners with this thing. If you send me the word wealth uh, to my uh, DM, I was going to say where, but this is so many <laughs> We'll put the links below, guys. Anyway, it's all good. Yeah. If you send it to my DM, uh, the word wealth uh, from this podcast, I will give you a discount. And I'm going to share details with you. It's not available to the public. If you join as early founders, what I'm going to do for a group of the first 50 to 75 people that join is I'm going to give you also a one-on-one -on -one session with me, which I usually charge for and stuff like that, just to give you a... Flavor. springboard right somewhere to to jump from i i don't offer that i don't have the time for it but you know but you know what sometimes like i said when the heart calls and there's a lot of people that i believe that i can influence into thinking bigger and thinking about collaborations then it's all worth it 
So hit me up. I want to serve you. I want to help you. I know what it's like to feel like you're stuck. I know what it's like to be so close, like, like the money's in the bank and then, and then the check bounces or you got that big deal and they renege or something happens and then it just feels like you just throw right back to where you started. It's a gift. I know it doesn't feel like it, but it's a gift, my friends. 22 100%. years experience will tell you that every setback is a gift. Look at that mountain as an explorer. Go buy the shoes, buy the gear to protect yourself, buy a hat, and look at it as a fun exploration. The mountain is never bigger than you. Pow. Listen, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show today. I really, really appreciate it. And listen, this has been a lot of fun. And I, guys, listen, I hope that you've had a lot of fun too. Um, and, uh, and if you have any questions, do me a favor. Uh, we've put Paulina's links in the links below. So you can click on the, and connect with her on Instagram, LinkedIn, and all the other social media links that we put below. So hit her up. Make sure that you take chew her arm off with that offer because that would just be really stupid not to uh, because she really is uh, not just a, a raw, authentic, and, and genuine person. She really comes from a place of uh, heart and soul. And, and that's what I love about her and stuff like that. So Pauline, I just want to say thanks very much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Adam. You are a really big inspiration. Let me know the details of your book. Like I said, I'm not just playing a collaborator. <laughs> As a marketer, I would love to help you promote it across my socials, any way that I can help. I appreciate it. Up. Well, listen, we're going to do, do some wonderful stuff together. I know we're going to do wonderful stuff together because I already envisaged it because I'm a visionary and you've already picked up a few things that we're already kind of clicking on collaboration and stuff like that. So we're already kind of fishing in the same pond. So this is all good. Listen, guys, hope you've enjoyed today's show. Hope you've enjoyed it. Feel the need to do us a favor and leave a five-star review on the, on the link below depending on which platform you're listening to this. Otherwise, we'll see you again on the next Game Changers experience. So from me and Paulina, take Bye. care. See you soon. Bye-bye. God bless. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.